The title of the lesson this evening is Have You Forgotten God? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 9, verse number 17, that all the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. There have been a few times in my life that I have forgotten something very important. I'm embarrassed to say, Brother Huffines, but on one occasion, I forgot my anniversary and I paid the price. <laughs> have you been guilty before of forgetting something that was crucial to say the least? Maybe you forgot to send a car payment in on time. Maybe you forgot to file your income tax on time. Maybe it was this or that, but you forgot something that was important. All throughout the Old Testament, God through the great prophets asked rhetorical questions such as Jeremiah 2 and 23 to remind the Israelites that they had best not forget God. Can a maid forget her attire or a bride her ornaments? Yet my people, Jeremiah says, on behalf of God, have forgotten me all the days without number. Sometimes we forget things in our past as a nation. Maybe 9-11 or World War II or World War I or our Civil War. We forget our past and because of that, we make and are very prone to make the same mistakes over and over. And thus God all throughout the Bible sets up memorials to give us a reminder of those things that are of the highest importance spiritually. In the book of Joshua, we studied Lord's Day, that there were 12 stones erected in the, in the river to prove and to remind the next generation how God allowed them to pass over. Have we forgotten what matters the most? I'm reminded of an Old Testament event. Do you remember Joseph, the butler, the baker, Pharaoh, those characters? Now Joseph was a type of Christ. And while in prison, remember, he told the butler, remember me and put a good word in with the Pharaoh. But the Bible makes this very sad commentary concerning the butler. And when he was out, the Bible says, he forgot Joseph. Let me ask you a question. Have we forgot our friend Jesus Christ, who with great pity exercised an insurmountable amount of mercy upon our soul, allowing us to come to him in the greatest invitation ever known, come unto me. And coming to Christ, receiving the burden from our sin being lifted, receiving life everlasting, how many times have we been guilty, friend, of forgetting our best friend, Jesus the Christ? Have we forgotten God? I dare say if we had the invitation right now, and every heart in here was completely and brutally honest that these two pews, these first two pews, could not house every physical body that would come and ought to come to rededicate and to restore themselves to the paths of remembrance. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, wants to be remembered by us. 
Joseph did not ask the butler. He did not ask the butler for some huge task to be accomplished. He simply asked, he simply asked the butler to remember him and to put a good word in for the Pharaoh. When's the last time you've gone out for friend Christ, the one that was our friend indeed when we were unlovable and needed a friend, needed a savior? When is the last time that you've gone out and put a good word in for Christ with your neighbors and tried to win a soul for Jesus? Proverbs 11 says, he that winneth souls is wise. You know, I also thought about this tonight. I thought about we have forgotten the poor and needy among us sometimes in our own communities. Right after Psalm 9 and 17 asked that question and it talks about have we forgotten God and it talks about all the nations that forget God shall be cast into hell. Then it goes on down the next verse and it says that the poor will not always be forgotten. In some places they are forgotten. They're not remembered. People who are brought low through a downtrodden state of no fault of their own. Maybe a widow or one whose age or disability has given them great problems. Now there are people in our society that are lazy deadbeats. Let's be brutally honest. I'm not talking about people who make their own cause of poverty. The Bible makes it clear that if a man does not work, neither shall he eat. But the Bible also makes clear our responsibility to the destitute, to the widow, to the orphan, those that cannot fend for themselves. James 1 and 27 makes it clear concerning a practical application of every Christian and our duty and privilege in the church as individual Christians. We are, in a negative sense, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, the last half of the verse. But the first part says that we are to do what? We are to make sure that we take care of the widows and the fatherless. That's the orphans. So the psalmist said, that the poor will not always be forgotten. And today the church of our Lord should strike hard and we should keep on thinking about maintaining good works, Titus 3.8, which is inclusive of remembering the poor among us. Well, as we go through the lesson tonight, and we're really just getting started. I mean, what else do you have to do tonight? Kind of clouding up, you know, we have a nice evening, beautiful building, uh, the, the, the pews are padded. I mean, we don't even have padded pews in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, we do, I suppose. But, but I want to really think about tonight, when we come to the New Testament, just as the butler so quickly forgot the friendship with Joseph, have we forgotten our relationship, our standing, our saving grace that was given unto us freely by Christ when we through our faith and obedience came to him initially. There was a congregation that basically in some regards had forgotten God. While Ephesus knew the facts of the scripture, their heart had grown very cold and very, very obstinate to the great love that at one time they had. And Jesus makes it very clear in his observation of the seven churches of Asia, beginning with Ephesus, thou hast left first love. He said, I have a few things against thee. They were to remember. They were to go back and to focus and to remember what first began that relationship. It is true tonight. 
If you're having marital troubles and you have forgotten really the vow and the covenant and the power of marriage, then you ought to take Jesus' advice, advice in Revelation 2 and remember your first love. By the way, the reason people forget God is because they don't remember the words of God. Remember we said earlier in Jude 17, our Bible study, Lord's Day morning, the Bible says, remember ye the words of the apostles. There is no way anybody can have an active, faithful relationship with Christ outside of or separate and apart from the word of God. And so we have even among our own brethren today in some places a famine in the land of the word of God and people have forgotten because the Bible is not taught with fervor and accuracy in some places. Y'all are fortunate in this area. There's still a lot of powerful preaching in your area. Some places I go, the gospel is almost foreign to people in the church. I was preaching at one place lately. Someone said, well, we haven't heard gospel preaching in years. Well, no wonder the church is lackluster at best. No wonder it's falling into lukewarmness because without the word of God being taught, how can we ever remember the words of the apostles, Jude 17? How can we continue in the apostles' doctrine, Acts 2 and 42? And so people migrate. They migrate away from the truth into error, into better felt than told religion, into what feels good, into what... They just move. And they drift away. Hebrews 2 makes it very clear, brethren, that we are to take heed to these things. We are to give the more earnest heed to these things which we have spoken. Why? Lest we allow them to slip from us. Our memories are a great and powerful machine that God gave us, but they must constantly be brought into remembrance. That's why Peter would say that a preacher is to bring to your remembrance, to stir you up into your thinking and your minds, and to call to your recollection the things that Luke says are most surely believed among our people. And if we fail to do this, we'll be like the butler having escaped prison and having, having a better day now for getting where we came from. Tonight I want to ask you a question. Have you forgotten God in your homes? Do you make it a routine? And I don't mean a routine without, without uh, intention. Not just doing something out of motion, but with intentional routine, do you make it a part of your life to pray? Is your home built upon the word of God in Christ? Do you have devotional and scripture reading? And do you teach your children how to pray? Do they see in the home an example of mother and father living for Christ? Do they see on your social media? Oh, I could stop and preach, but I, I hate to get off too much tonight. Y'all with me? Some of y'all need to clean your social media up. Yeah, thank you, brother. I got off of it. I mean, you can still private message me, but about six months ago, I just got off. My wife said, I can't believe of all people you got off. I like to advertise meetings and, you know, try to encourage the crowds and so forth. But some of my brethren were saying stuff on social media that was so far out, and some of y'all putting those hearts on things that's not approved by God. It drives me crazy. Couldn't spend enough hours in a day trying to help my brethren. The Bible says that an evangelist is to preach the word. Well, the word of God says that we are not to give hearty approval 
or Godspeed to those things that are wrong. It's one thing just to pass over it and not have to say anything, but you can't put a heart on something that God puts an X on. I wish they had an X on Facebook. I might get back on, brother. But my brethren would be upset. Now, you know, listen, I know that everybody, I understand that everybody has struggles they're working on. But don't glorify, don't glorify things that are wrong on Facebook. A Christian is supposed to be separate from the world. That doesn't mean that we have to be like the Amish and remove ourselves from society. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. A verse that goes back in its root to the Old Testament, reminding the children of Israel to flee idolatry and to come out from the pagan societies at large. But if we're going to be on social media, we must be distinctively different than all the world around us. They should see in our posts the love of God. They should, they should see a fair a, a fair person that's, that's not picking on this or that. They should see someone who magnifies truth and what is right and, and does not exalt what is wrong. Now listen, sometimes on social media, you all have forgotten. That's how we're going to tie it in. You all have forgotten that some things are private. You don't have to tell everything you know on Facebook. Ought to be another amen. We don't need to know about your private love life. We don't need to know and we don't need to see y'all wearing your, you know, your lingerie. That's, that's for home. That's in, the, that's in the bedroom. That's husband and wife. Those things are not, they're not to be made public. Some of y'all are bringing out things in a public arena that God meant to be in the private arena. So just a couple of thoughts tonight. Number one, don't approve things that are wrong. If it's religiously wrong, if you want to pass over it because you don't have the ability to correct it or you don't think it's in your place to correct it, that's one thing. But don't put a heart on it. Don't put a thumbs up on it. You know, I heard here while back down in Oklahoma, this wouldn't happen in Tennessee probably, but, but someone down in Oklahoma, one of their grandkids had, had gone to some religious camp and I mean they got, you know, really, really into it and I mean they were up there on some guitar just to have an at it and, and one of them, you know, got saved, quote, by some sinner's prayer, and the grandma comes along and hearts it. Oh, my. Oh, my. I want to burn that guitar and give that lady a spiritual spanking. I mean, I love her to death, but, folks, we can't love our grandkids so much that we heart things that are wrong. Y'all with me? Because what happens is the world may think that we actually agree with that. And you're just hearting it because you think your granddaughter's cute. But you got to make sure that when you put the heart on it, that it's religiously right. Because social media stays there a long time. I just want you all to see that. Now, we're not trying to be ugly. Oh, maybe half ugly. Because sometimes you got to be just ugly enough to get people's attention. You know, I never knew many handsome preachers, Brother Scoggins. <laughs> Did you? I never knew many. And you and, and you and Brother Gossett confirm it. <laughs> All right, but look, look, on a serious note, have we forgotten God on the sports field in our work? Looking back in my life, I can say that on a few times that I wished I could go back and to redo something. Maybe I lost my cool or maybe I said something off the cuff that I should never have come from my lips. 
know, we all make mistakes, and that's why God gives us a second law of pardon to make it right. But we should strive to be better tomorrow than we've ever been as a Christian. Because even though God forgives us, the world doesn't always forgive us. And they hold in the recesses of their mind everything and word that we've ever spoken. And when we invite them to a meeting or to a study, then they immediately default back to those few times that maybe we did not do right ourselves. That doesn't excuse them. But we also ought to do better because souls are on the line. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten to, to exercise the greatest memorial feast the world has ever known? Some brethren do not prioritize the Lord's Supper like we ought to. In some places, it's almost an afterthought. In some places, it's almost as if it's not a key component of worship. In some places, people will come in and be balancing their checkbook, and one sister was clipping her fingernails during the supper. I don't think people realize that you're leaving really one world and entering into another almost. The Bible talks about that we are to sanctify ourselves. Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And there is no time in the worship of the Lord's church, especially when we're referring to the sacrifice of our Lord in the excuse me, observation of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, there's never a time in which holiness should be divorced from the act. It's a special time. I've heard so many people say, oh, this is just a building. Well, I understand, I think what they mean, and that's correct. This building itself, this physical building, it is not holy. If it burns, the church, which is the people, is still alive right here in McCoinsville. But it bothers me sometimes when people say it so much then all of a sudden people think what goes on here is not holy. And it is holy. What we're doing now is holy. Because it's the preaching of the gospel. Both my utterance of the scripture and both your reception and take heed how you hear and investigate and make sure it's right. It's holy. It's not common. You're riding a bike down the road, that's common. Be a good practice at home with your children for a devo. You cite something and you let them tell you if it's common or holy. The Lord's Supper is holy. Eating the nice baked potato and steak that Brother and Sister Anderson fed me, now that was common, but thank you. <laughs> Reading a, just a regular book. Tom Sawyer, that, that's common. But when I'm in Bible study of the Word of God, that's holy. When I'm talking to my neighbor about farming, that's common. But when we're sitting down around a Bible study, around the kitchen and discussing Bible and how to become a Christian, now you're entering into holy things. We've got to make sure we don't confuse the common with the holy. Have you forgotten what's holy? Oh, I could preach on this tonight. Some of our brethren at times go off and, they, you know, at the ball games and practices. Hey, nothing wrong with sports. All my kids are in sports. But we made a decision a long time ago. It's not going to interfere with the Lord's church. When you have to make a decision, you always make the decision to honor the holy. The common will then take care of itself. If we ever confuse these two, we'll live a divided life. And James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
Have we forgotten to honor Christ in the memorial sacrifice? Have we forgotten when we, when we take charge at the table that even our dress is important? I don't believe you have to wear a, a suit. I try to look nice because y'all asked me to come and to, to honor God. I try to wear my best, but I'm not saying you have to wear a three-piece suit. But sometimes when I see how our brethren are dressed, uh, when they're waiting on the table, I, I'm concerned, do they understand it's holy time? It, it's not common time. It's not a Michael Jordan uh, tank top, you know, in shorts. It's God's time. Therefore, we dress in such a way as not to distract the audience. We dress in such a way as not to appeal to ourselves but to God. We dress in such a way as to magnify the Lord. And the prayers that I utter, the scripture that's read at the table, that all of that should bring our minds back to the cross. It's not a time to pray for a sister in need. It's not a time to pray for a brother that's lost his spouse. It's not a time as an opening prayer or a closing prayer. It's a time for the prayers to be brief and directly centered back to the items of which we're discussing, ultimately to the cross. Have we forgotten that the early church gathered for the express purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper, Acts 20 and number 7? And as long as this world exists, there'll be a remnant, Romans 11 5, of Christians somewhere under the canopy of the sun that meet and gather for the observance of the supper just as the early church did. The church of Christ is here to stay the faithful, but some are forgetting. I recently saw in one place in a magazine affiliated with our brotherhood that someone was observing the supper on a Saturday to try to, to, try to basically make a bridge of racial reconciliation. Well, th that's the wrong purpose of the supper. The purpose of the supper is not social justice. The purpose of the supper is not to win friends and influence people. It's not a political shindig. It's not entertainment. It's not turn the lights down low and let's see if we can feel something here. We've got to make sure that the sacrifice is protected. That's part of our defending the gospel. Have we forgotten have we forgotten tonight that the plan of salvation needs to be taught with more distinction now than ever? You know, in some places, the invitation is going away. Some places I preach, they say, well, we don't hear the invitation much anymore. I understand that like tonight, there may be the majority of the crowd already in Christ. But if there's one person here tonight that's never named Christ in baptism, and we're having a gospel meeting. And I did not close this meeting out and in instructing you on how to become a Christian. We have entirely failed. Amen. We are gathered here today to exalt Christ and to make sure that everybody knows how to get into Christ. And then we appeal to the second category, to all who are already Christians. First to myself and all them that would hear. Because a good preacher in 1 Timothy 4 and 16, Paul told Timothy, continue in the doctrine, and in doing so thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. So every good preacher should first apply every lesson to himself and examine himself to make sure that the things that he's teaching, he's living in his life, that they're accurate, and that with the true motivation of love, he disperses those to the hearers with the right mindset. 
And if there's anyone here tonight that's forgotten God, you're in the church, but just like the butler, when you, when you found liberty, you forgot about Christ just like the butler forgot about Joseph. I think so many of us are guilty of sometimes forgetting God. I also want to bring this up. In Proverbs 28 and 13, the Bible says, He that concealeth, some translations will say covereth, He that concealeth or covereth his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesseth, and is a conjunction joining two things, confesseth and forsaketh, shall receive mercy. I think the church has forgotten in some areas, in some places, that there are two laws of pardon. The first one we'll give at the end of the lesson. Sinners coming to Christ to receive initial forgiveness. But we also forget the sweetness and the beauty and the grand, the grand loveliness of the second law of pardon that allows, that allows all of us to stay clean as we walk in the light. But if we don't teach and preach the Word of God with strength, we will lose people. Because you cannot, you cannot hold people in a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, without spiritual food. So we have to preach and teach. Now here it is. Hebrews chapter 12, this concerns me tonight. The Bible talks about, well first of all, Hebrews 11 was the hall of faith. Extolling belief, right? But Hebrews 12 says that we are to lay aside every weight and the, I circled that in my Bible, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now there is some difference of thought as to what the besetting sin is. Some people believe, and I think this is at least a probable proposition, following Hebrews 11 in context, which is concerning the grandeur of faith and the necessity of it. And based upon Hebrews 3 and 12, that there could become within any of us an, a spirit of unbelief in departing from the living God. So some simply say that the besetting sin is simply unbelief. Maybe. Personally, I believe here, we won't, we won't uh, part ways over this because at the end of the day, you still come to the same conclusion. There's something here in the text that we're very vulnerable to. Now I believe since we have the word the, the besetting sin, that it may be different for every one of us. That we're running a race. We're running a race. And in the old days, they had wreaths and they had, what you know, they didn't want to be cumbered about. I think it goes back to Lamentations 1 and 14, where a yoke of sin and transgression was upon my neck like a wreath. So much so that he could not, he could not stand. He's crying out before God. Well, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear here that there is the singular besetting sin. Do you have a sin that's haunted you all of your life? Most people do. Some people struggle with temper. Some people struggle with vengeance. Some people struggle with vulgarity, uh, profanity, etc. Some people uh, struggle with lust in one form or another. Some people with greed. Some people with this addiction or that addiction. We could, just, we could go on and on and on. But I believe most people, 
Most people have something that they fight against and they struggle. Now Hebrews 12 talks about striving against sin. That's why we need the preaching of the gospel. If you have the right preacher, it's not that he's preaching down at you. He's not pounding on top of your head. If he's the right kind of preacher, he's preaching from the heart, heart to heart from the Bible so all of us can make it, the preacher included. But if you have a besetting sin, you've laid aside the weights that are, that are easier for you. But there is something that's really difficult for you. I would say that God gives a divine recipe, a prescription to help you to overcome that particular vice. And one of those things found in Jude 17, as we studied earlier, was remember ye the words of the apostles. In that section of scripture, the Bible also says, keep yourselves in the love of God. If you don't allow your heart, if you don't allow Christ to take residence in your heart and the word that he spoke, something else will. In space, if a vacuum is there, something else fills it. The same as in our hearts. Any time in my life I found over the course of my tenure of being a Christian that I maybe was struggling in an area or, or moving away from my faithfulness, it was because something was filling my heart, the chambers thereof, other than the Word of God. Sometimes physical family can start talking and putting things into your mind, which is your heart, that's not right. Just because their uncle or granny or auntie does not mean that you have to let those things in your heart. I wish I had time to preach on this tonight. Sometimes we'd be better off letting some of our family go. Thank you, Brother Holloway. See, I tell you, you really ought to think about being a preacher. You're loud enough. You're the only person that I've ever met as loud as me. But that's why you want a good voice when you're preaching. I don't mean let go of your wife or your children. What I'm trying to say is sometimes we have that extended family that can cause us a lot of misery. Be good to them. Be friendly to them. But don't allow them to come into your mind and to wreck your spiritual devotion to Christ. In that sense, Jesus said, the one that does the will of my Father in heaven, they are my family. Mark the third chapter, verse 35 and following. Jesus on one occasion said, I did not come to bring peace, but what? A sword. A man's foe shall be they of his own house. And that's, that's the exception, not the rule. But there are times in which the gospel is preached and, and people reject the gospel in our own physical family. We have to go with the gospel. And that even includes if it is our spouse or our children. Have we forgotten God? Well, I would say for most of us, we would readily admit since we first became a Christian, there were some times in our spiritual lives that we at least for a time did not serve him wholeheartedly. There were maybe a, a, a few lesser times that we would even go a step further and say that maybe we actually, like the butler, who forgot to put a good word in for Joseph, that really we, we had forgotten Christ who saved us initially. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, etched upon this table, and likewise most tables in the houses and where we worship. No better, no better inscription could be written. This do in remembrance of me. That's timeless. That's scripture. See, some, some things people do don't last the ages of time. 
Potbelly stove's not here anymore. You know why? Because time took that out. Time won't take that out. This do in remembrance of me. If we take the supper and it's not in remembrance of him, then it's not biblical to begin with. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten 1 Corinthians 10 and 21 that ye cannot eat and ye cannot dine with the table or the, the, the table of the devils and the cup of the Lord that the world and the church do not intertwine and that a man cannot love God and mammon, that a man cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. A man must live for God. Have we forgotten? As we close this evening, we've gone long enough. Have we forgotten the basic teaching of the gospel itself? How is a man today, men and women, Acts 8 and 12, how are people converted to come into a full saving relationship to receive the grace of God, to have the blood of Christ cleanse them from their sins? How do men and women today receive the free grace that Christ offers? Because He did bring us salvation from grace, Titus 2.11. Ephesians 2.8 makes it very clear to me. It says, for by grace are ye saved. And our religious friends want to stop right there. But I say, read on. Read on. No one here doubts the grace of God. If it were not for the grace of God, every one of us would perish. There's not a one righteous, no, not one in that sense. Someone said, well, how is Zacharias and Elizabeth righteous? Easy. Because Paul in Romans is discussing absolute righteousness. And in the absolute sense, only he is reverent and righteous. But in a comparative sense, distinguishing between holy living and worldly living, in a non-absolute comparative sense, it can be said that we are faithful, we are righteous, we are followers of God, we are the light of the world, correct? In a comparative sense. That's easy. See, don't let people fool you. In the same way with the passage in Ephesians 2.8, someone said, brother, don't you know that there's nothing you can do? You can't even respond to His grace because by grace are you saved. He individually chose you and there's nothing you can do. Either you're saved or you're lost. But that's not what Ephesians 2.8 says. It says for by grace. In other words, grace began. It, it struck first. It preemptively came. It preemptively brought down salvation. We didn't do anything to demand God's grace. We couldn't merit His coming. So for by grace, salvation has been offered. But through faith must be accessed. There is a pipeline. That's how I explain it to young people in Bible class. There is a pipeline coming from heaven. With the grace of God, salvation has been brought down. Christ came down, Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, Matthew 1 and 21. He came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19 and 10. But faith is the pipeline going upward. Man must by faith, by faith, reach out toward the grace of God. And true faith, young people, true faith is always connected to obedience. How do you know that, preacher? Start in Hebrews 11 at home with good family exercise. Go through every one of those by faith. By faith. Every one of them did something. Every one of them did something about it. I like Nike's slogan, just do it. That's what y'all ought to do tonight. Just do it. 
By faith. Noah didn't sit there and say, well, you know, God's a God of grace. I don't have to build an ark to please him. I don't have to follow these instructions. Noah wasn't listening to Billy Graham. Noah was listening to what the Bible, what God orally told him in those days. Genesis 6 and 8, the Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, Noah did all that God said according, so did he. You don't earn your salvation, but you access it. God is looking for men and women who by faith, conviction. God wants people who believe in this. Not, not people who are double-minded. I mean people that believe in His Son. And if you believe in Him by faith and you appreciate that divine grace and you think, you know what? There's nothing I could do to earn it, but I'm going to go by the Word of God and I'm going to have faith that goes all the way to Christ and nobody is going to stop me. That's the kind of person tonight that God is looking for. You want salvation and you want it so badly that you would do anything possible to receive it. Not to earn it, to receive it. But you don't have to climb Mount Everest. Aren't you glad? Most of y'all aren't in shape to do that. I mean, I, I don't think I am, you know. You don't have to, to work 5,000 riddles. It's not some puppeteer up there making light of the human race and trying to fool us and to trick us. And He's a God of love, 1 John 4 and 8. Salvation, there's no tricks in salvation. The only tricks around salvation are from a devil's mouth, John 8 and 44, trying to dissuade people from coming to Christ. He's the real villain in the whole story. But people listen more to what Satan says than what Christ says. And what Christ said is what I'm banking on tonight. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved doesn't get any simpler than that. Someone said, yeah, but it says, he that believeth not shall be damned. It doesn't say he that baptized not shall be damned. That's easy because nobody's going to be baptized tonight that does not have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, Hebrews 11 and 6. Faith comes before baptism. These are in sequence. It's not just that you have believed and you have been baptized. They have to be in the right sequence for the right purpose that's toward salvation. If there's anybody here tonight, that believes in Jesus Christ with all of your heart, that He is in fact the Son of the living God, and you're willing to not only acknowledge your unable, unable, excuse me, to make a path towards heaven yourself, and that you have through godly sorrow acknowledged your state of hopelessness and to turn from sin towards Christ. That's repentance. Confessing with the mouth that He is the Son of God. Would you make that confession? And then be baptized in water. How much? John 3 and 23, much water. Much water. How much? Enough water to cover you. Just like Jesus was covered in the tomb, the borrowed tomb, you will be raised out of that tomb to walk in a new life, Romans 6 and 4. You go down, if you want to, to the tag agency tomorrow and tell them you need a new driver license. You're a different man. No, you better not do that. They might throw you in jail. But really, that's what you are. Spiritually speaking, your identity has changed. You're no longer the old man. You are a new man. And I know there's somebody here tonight probably thinking about it. Why don't you come? And why don't you allow Christ to forgive you 
and you'll be added to the church of Christ. Now that's what we really ought to spend a little time on maybe tomorrow night. Some people believe and say, well, you know, I was baptized years ago. But were you added to the church? Is my question, Acts 2 and 47. That same blood that remits sin, Matthew 26, 28, Acts 2, 38, is the same blood that bought the church, Acts 20 and 28. You've got to be added to the church, the kingdom, the body. God doesn't have just random individuals out here saved outside the church. Everybody that was saved was in the ark. Today, everybody that's saved is in the church. Someone said, what about little babies? Someone always has to try to stump the preacher. Easy. They're safe. Not saved. Y'all with me? They're safe. Not saved. Saved implies lost. Babies are safe because they've never been lost. But then when they reach the age of accountability, then they enter into sin. They violate the transgression of God's law, 1 John 3 and 4. And then they become lost, and then they need to be saved and added to the church where all the saved are. Now, I'll tell you what. Your friends give you problems about the church, just ask them. How many people outside the ark were saved once the rain started? Noah couldn't even throw him a life vest. The Bible says God shut the door. And someday, I don't know when, because no preacher, no person knows when Christ shall come again. We know he's coming, Hebrews 9, 28, a second time to all them that look for him. But we know this, that when he does come, when the end of time comes, he will deliver up the Father unto the Father, the kingdom, 1 Corinthians 15 and 24. And there'll be no entrance into that kingdom anymore. Tonight, if you are not a Christian, think about coming down as we start the singing here in just a minute. Song leaders getting ready. Number two, if you are a Christian and you have forgotten God, these elders here tonight are ready to pray with you and to help you on your journey back. Repent, pray, and confess. Remember, if we, if we cover or conceal our sin, we shall not prosper. Proverbs 28, 13. If we confess and forsake our sin, we will find mercy. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our faults, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Have we forgotten? If we have, remember ye the words of the apostles while we stand and as we sing.